This is Strange Assembly, episode 283, Corset 2021. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Mike Cook. Hello. And we are here to talk about the Magic the Gathering Corset 2021. As we record this, it is pre-release weekend with the official full release happening next Friday, if I'm not mistaken. So normally this would be a weekend where I would actually go to a pre-release with one or both of the children. However, I've just been limited to arena play so far. How about you, Mike? Yeah, well, my friend of the local game store apparently completely did miss that this was coming out and didn't order any, so I'm definitely sticking to Arena for right now. That's impressive. So there are two local stores here are doing pre-releases, but one of them is the size of a shoebox, and I don't think it really is even trying to do social distancing sorts of things. The other one is trying, but the fact is that you play Magic sitting three feet away from your opponents. And at some of these pre-releases, even with the capped sizes, you're going to be sitting relatively close to the people left and right. So I disappointed my nine-year-old by saying that, no, I pre-ordered a box from the store, and I will pick that up, and they will get the payment for that, but we're not going to actually go and play in a pre-release, so... Yeah. Credit to the store, like, a lot of stuff's been really weird to order, and I've got other stores I could go to, but exactly what you said, I'm, I'm at most I would walk in to buy the thing and then walk out. It is interesting... I've kind of thought ahead to this, like, over the, the past months, but even over the summer, I mean, Magic's, Magic's schedule is, uh, Corset 2021 is coming out end of June, early July. Then there's Jumpstart in association with Corset 2021, like two weeks later, which is a draft-focused product, or limited-focused product, I guess it's not a draft, limited-focused product. Then... In early August, there's Double Masters, and then not that long after that, there's Commander Drafting. And how much of that's going to happen? Are we going to have a bunch of Magic products that just don't get experienced nearly as much as a draftable thing because people aren't in stores? Or maybe everyone would just be crowding into stores anyway, I I don't know. Well, I mean, that's kind of how Mystery Boosters panned out, too, right? Like, it's really explicitly meant to be a draftable mystery thing. As far as store release, right, it had about, I don't know, four or five, six months before that at conventions. But I feel like a lot of it did not get drafted, especially once people saw the value. That was also part of it. But I, I feel like there I didn't see nearly as many Mystery Booster drafters as you thought. And that was right at the beginning of all of the lockdown. I imagine it's eating into their uh, balance sheet. It makes me wonder like how much it will affect like how much the set gets printed or anything like that. Anyhow. Right. Oh, I guess they're they're happy they invested in Arena, you gotta say. Yeah. So Corset 2021. I, I don't know if corsets are even ostensibly introductory products anymore. I still hear people talk about them like that. It doesn't really feel like they are. They feel like they're mostly just another set. It's just that their theme isn't about going to a particular plane. Right. It's still a place for, for reprints, but also now they're like highlighting a character. Kind of ever since Origins. They do reprints, but they also do new cards. There's, there's a much higher percentage of reprints. I mean, this is also right. 
talk about reprints. Aren't we like mystery booster reprints, jumpstart mostly reprints, this mostly reprints, double masters, you know, obviously reprints, presumably higher value reprints given the price point, but I feel like it's reprint summer. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've been needing to reprint some stuff, so that's okay by me. So, like you said, you mentioned focused on a, on a character. Corset 2020 was focused on Chandra as the premier character. She got a, what, four different versions of her, plus the one in the Planeswalker box, which was super fantastic for our household because Chandra is my nine-year-old's favorite Planeswalker. The focus character for... 2021 is Teferi. This works for me. Not that I'm over the moon about Teferi specifically. I'll admit that I actually like Teferi less than I did two years ago because I'm really tired of playing against his Planeswalker card. So says basically everybody. (laughs) But the thing that I really like about Teferi in this set is that along with Teferi, come a handful of other Mirage block characters appearing in legendary form, Mangara and Jorael and Karavak. So I'm very happy to see those. Those those are not like characters who have never gotten legendaries before. At least I know Karavak has gotten one before. But I, I'm old and have nostalgia, and I always like it when they are making legendary versions of like the weatherlight crew and weatherlight saga yeah, yeah. stuff and 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 yes magic aficionados out there i'm aware that mirage and visions were immediately before the weatherlight saga but like it was immediately before same time frame uh, <laughs> so the theming for this after teferi seems to be the planeswalkers generally like usual for the core set there's one monocolor planeswalker for each one and then here Ugin is thrown in for good measure, but each of those Planeswalkers has a showcase frame. Each of those Planeswalkers has one card at each of the non-mythic rarities that is, you know, Basri's this or Liliana's that, Chandra's Magmut. And you can get a showcase frame of all of those. So that that seems a, a significant part of the theming of 2021. The other part of the theming of 2021 is, I would say Mauro finally winning his battle to get hounds renamed to dogs, but apparently he didn't actually win the battle. Somebody else won it for him. (laughs) (laughs) So, right, dogs, dogs, dogs are the other big theme. There are also cats. There aren't as many cats, but this also goes over relatively well in my household because the nine-year-old is excited about the dogs and the six-year-old always likes cat cards. Not, Not like creature type cat but actual cat so like if you're a, a an anthropomorphic lion that does not work for her right she wants an actual cat you know but there are several of those i think i'm pretty sure nine lives needs to be added to her binder pretty quickly or i'm gonna get in trouble that sort of thing <laughs> what are your first impressions of corset 2021 i think it's interesting i think i like where a lot of the design is like it, it feels about where I'd expect modern design, there doesn't at the outset seem to be anything busted beyond Ugin. And, like, I'm glad that Ugin got reprinted, but also that card is, like... If the ramp wasn't as bad in the current environment as it is, then Ugin would be fine. But the the problem is the ramp is so stupid and ongoing that Ugin feels like he's going to be a problem. But 
I'm still happy it got reprinted because there's a lot of stuff that probably doesn't need to be $35, dollars $50, and getting that more into print is a good thing. Yeah, I, I do like it when you see some random old card. You're like, well, I kind of wanted that, but it's not really worth it at that price. And then if it gets reprinted, like, ooh, maybe this maybe this will cost $5 now instead of 15 I mean, obviously, Ugin costs more than 15 and will cost more than 5 But Right, exactly. I'm saying that because Azusa Lost But Seeking is from a block I actually was playing in, but I don't have one of her from back in Kamigawa, and I like the art on her, but... She's like 15 bucks because of Commander, right? So I'm like, eh, I don't need to pay $15 to put this in a binder because I like the art, right? Without without anything right. else. I do have to say, though, man, C- Commander really drives the prices on some of the singles. Oh, yeah. So what's the most extreme example I can think of is uh, Ristic Study. I'm like, wow, this is, this is like an uncommon from a block full of terrible cards. <laughs> it's like 20 yep. bucks because of Commander, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> sure is. I do like the overall power level in 2021. Like you said, nothing jumps out as being super bonkers, which I think is good. I, I feel like Magic over the last couple of years has had a lot of things that felt super bonkers, and they've had to ban relatively speaking, quite a few cards. I, I know it, it partially also, I, I realized it f- feels like they're banning more cards than they are sometimes because they have so many different formats that they have to ban stuff in or not. There's Pioneer and Modern and Standard and Historic. and I, But still, it was a lot of cards banned following a stretch where they really didn't have to have that many and then capped off by effectively banning the Companions. Which, I mean, I, I was all of these cards that were banned, I was happy to see banned. If anyone remembers our discussion of Ikoria, you will not be surprised to know that I was quite happy to see commanders, sorry, companions erased from the environment. Um, I mean, they weren't entirely erased. They, they had to be very, very good for them to still see play, but they still see some play. But it was a needed adjustment as well. Yeah, it was, and that's weird, right? I don't, I'm sure it's happened some other time, but it's, really unusual for them to have to literally change a rule because they messed up a mechanic so badly. But I like not looking at the set and seeing things that feel super powerful. And and or I, I, should, I didn't give this proviso earlier, right? I'm not a serious tournament player. Let's be clear about that. So, you know, don't really take my card strength evaluations in any way seriously. But still, there's that kind of initial reaction i mean this isn't the first card for this to happen to but like baneslayer angel right that was a card that when it was around in the past was competing for best creature in the format and now it's like that's playable this it's not quite a a big as downgrade as poor sarah the original sarah angel had where she got removed from the environment because she was too good and then when she came back she was useless is interesting how much, again, how much my priorities change. If this was from back when I was a serious tournament player, I might look at a set that doesn't have a bunch of powerhouse stuff and be like, oh, what do I need to get that for? Now I'm like, oh, look, I can get special Liliana frames. What do you think the chances are I'll open whatever if I buy a collector <laughs> booster? I need the borderless. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so they have the, the special frames for the cards associated with Planeswalkers which is great for us. My household is very big on Planeswalkers, right? 
So that's a, a great sort of theming to go with. They also have the borderless alt arts, not just for the planeswalkers, but for some of the other things as well. I think most notably Grim Tutor, which is, I guess, the hotness out of this set. It seems overrated, uh, I, I gotta say. I don't think it's the hotness. I think it was just expensive because it was really rare. Yes, right. It, it was previously only printed over 20 years ago in a very short run product. And so the prior version was running at, you know, 150, 175 bucks or something like that. Like it's a lot, but I think that's a playable card, but it doesn't seem like a super exciting tutor. But I don't know. There seemed to be at least a category of people who were like, oh my gosh, how, how could they print that? Maybe it was just that people thought it was better than it was because it had a high price tag and they didn't realize how much of that was just about scarcity, not power level. I mean, reprint, what is it, Imperial Seal? And then, and then we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I no, really don't expect it to do very much, to be honest. It's a tutor that gets anything and puts it in your hand and at not an outrageously high price. So it's not something I'd want to discount. And And remember, I was talking about Commander. Crim Tutor's pretty good in Commander, where you have piles of life and a gigantic singleton deck. So I think that Grim Tutor being at a more affordable price point, it could see a lot more play in Commander. I mean, and the other alternate art that I think stands out is Cultivate, which has long been a Commander staple. It's been reprinted a, a, a billion times with the original Mirage Block artwork, uh, actually. But it now has the alternate art borderless. And of course, with the upgraded, we're going to call it rare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then was what dogs are the other theme? Yeah. Dogs seem seem popular. What do you think about magic going to the dogs? Uh, it's something that people have kind of been wanting for a while. So it seems good. It You know, people like tribal stuff. Getting people to like your product seems good. Yeah, seems like a good move to me. So let's let's go back to Teferi. I cannot believe that they brought back, the, even for a single card, that they put phasing on a card. If you had asked me, I would have told you that they would never print a phasing card. Yeah, it's fine, though. It seems okay in the context, because it's just one single card, and it works in a way that it does not serve as like this horrible, dumb drawback like phasing so frequently was. And it's great, because, like, Teferi is kind of the cause of phasing from a, a storyline point of view, so I really like that. I was just really surprised to actually see phasing on a card. So weird. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, there were a couple of other legendaries, like there's, as in the reprints. Well, we'll see what affection I develop for new legendaries, but Baron was another character who, you know, exists in the past in the story who's who's shown up and then Rada who I I think of as a more modern character than most of the other ones that we're seeing in this they're not like somebody from the past but I also really like that card I I I don't know the I right like I can just play cards off the top of I can play land off the top of my deck sure I'll take that why not right exactly is there any other cards that you find particularly nifty for reasons other than I think the the art is pretty, which is half of what mine are here. I think New Liliana is a very interesting. Part of it was I played with her a little bit, and her ultimate is a lot stronger than I thought it was. 
because I saw her ultimate and it was like, oh, every turn I get to put one of my creatures back on the battlefield. And Reanimator is probably my favorite archetype. I, I don't know why, I just really enjoy putting things in the graveyard and then bringing them back to life. But her ultimate is at the start of your combat, put any creature in a graveyard onto the battlefield and give it haste. And that's really good. Like, assuming there's any creatures or whatever, that that's a very strong thing. It's not quite the game ender. It's definitely not the uh, five mana to fairy every time I draw an a exile a card type of effect. And graveyards tend to get exiled pretty quickly nowadays between uh, Escape and, like, they just printed Tormod script in this set. But that's still, like, uh, just to me, she harkens back to the original Liliana. And she, uh, her ultimate is like a really cool effect. It's not insta-win, but gives you a really, really, really strong advantage. So I, I really like that. On the other hand, I think that she's in an interesting new outfit. I realized that while you were talking. Literally, when I looked at this card for the first time, I paid more attention to what her outfit was than I did to what the card did. <laughs> well... I mean, it's Mangali. She's an amazing artist, so that's not hard to believe. <laughs> well, yeah, Liliana is my favorite Planeswalker. Well, she's had a number of uh, looks over the the year, I guess, where like she's got to go with the long sleeves and the shawl because she doesn't have a chain veil anymore. She doesn't have a bunch of like demon tattoos to show off anymore. So, <laughs> well, she's also contemplative, right? Because of all the stuff that's been happening. Yes, one imagines that she's, I mean, she's in a graveyard, and she is not in a graveyard, even though the card is called Liliana Waker of the Dead, she doesn't look like someone who's about to resurrect a bunch of zombies and murder you. She, Yeah, she looks like someone who's perhaps pondering at, I'd say friends that she's lost, but does she actually have any friends? Uh, I mean, like, she had her brother, and then, then like, this other guy who like died to save her. I guess she had a fling with Jace at some point, right? Like she's she's not a person with friends. But well, uh, but but I mean, I think that's that's part of her arc, right? Is that she kind of hasn't because she used people a lot, but she knows that, and that's part of what she's like contemplating, right? She lived so much of her life for herself, and Gideon's selfless act at saving her, regardless of how well written or not it was. You know, it was something that she just didn't really expect, and I think that's a lot of what she's contemplating. You know, what type of person she wants to be. And she's also out from under, right, because, I guess Magic the Gathering story, spoilers, she's out from under all of her contracts. Nicol Bolas is, most of the universe thinks that he's dead. So, you know, it, it's a new kind of universe for her. But you would think there'd be one where she's like Scott Free, but in a lot of ways she's not in the place I think she thought she would be in this type of scenario. Probably not. It, and it makes me kind of think about essentially magic, magic marketing perspective of this. This is the sort of thing I, I think in most media properties where you would have this, like it's very easy to turn this into some sort of redemption arc where like she's contemplative and then decides to try to do something good like this one selfless act showed me that I can do blah 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 and setting aside whether or not that's trite or a trope or whatever when she's like your single most iconic black planeswalker <laughs> you can't just like suddenly turn her into some sort of noble self-sacrificing card right that's uh 
<laughs> Black's about sacrificing other people. Thank you, Barb. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, you're not wrong, but I don't, I don't know that that's all that it is, right? Sometimes you're sacrificing for purpose. Although Black is usually, I mean, you're not wrong. It, it, it's sacrificing for you know any means possible to to get ahead. You do sacrifice yourself on occasion. That's what paying life is, right? But it reminds me of my favorite quote from Shrek. Many of you will die. That is a sacrifice I am willing to make. <laughs> yeah. I, Black loves sacrificing stuff. Mostly you. <laughs> yeah. Nope, totally. And I get what you mean, but it might be that she is a character, possibly... I don't know that you can have a necromancer not just be an all-black character as far as color scheme, but certainly you want to keep that core identity, right? So Liliana feels like she might even be going to where she's, no, maybe she possibly herself possibly might not be a strictly black planeswalker card anymore, right? But it's hard to see her not just being strictly black because she she's exemplified black for so long. Yes. You're right. I mean, true necromancy, it doesn't usually really bleed into other colors. I mean, you had science zombies, but if you look at Innistrad, but I don't think she's going to start becoming a stitcher or whatever they. Yeah. You know, you could go the other way. She could be contemplative and think about it for a minute and be like, oh, well, you know what? Um, I'm still going to be an evil, out-for-myself, win-at-any-cost necromancer. I'm just going to do it without having to pay any of the prices that I thought I had to pay to those stupid demons. Ha ha ha. Look how smart I am. You're a schmuck, right. Gideon. I, this is, you know, because <laughs> evil will always win because good is dumb. Dumb. <laughs> I'm glad we got that Spaceballs reference. <laughs> but I, I think some of the ones that I... The remaining things I like the best of this are, are just for art. I I know I'm just going to throw a couple out because it's a terrible thing to talk about in an audio format, but I adore the art on Sublime Epiphany with uh, like the woman's head opening up, literally. Oh yeah, that art is so crazy good. And the foil also is just amazing. Well, yes, if you want to go get yourself the foil extended art, you should be prepared to pay a pretty penny for that. Lindsay Look did the art on that, who I got to tell you, don't know who that is, but <laughs> good introduction for me. I mean, who, for all I know, they've been uh, doing magic cards for the last 10 years, and I just haven't noticed. Right. Another bit of art I particularly like is the Thieves Guild Enforcer, where she's got the sort of like artificial bone arm. And then I, I was happy to see Query and Dryad reprinted, and I like the new art too for that. Any particular cards you wanted to call out? Like, ooh, there's a couple of nifty-looking dragons, and what is this, I'm even worse than Shivan, what am I doing here, dragon? <laughs> there's a bunch of neat stuff. I like Solemn got reprinted. That's kind of the, the, the funny thing about Core 21, is how crazy Core 20 was, right? It had a couple cards that needed to get banned. It had some color hate like we haven't seen in a long time. Core 21 just feels like a core set. And so that's in some ways, it's always that mix of like, well, there's some cool new stuff here, but none of it's super exciting, which is always how corsets were. It kind of feels good to go back to that after a year of kind of craziness. It does make less to talk about, but there's only so much to say about, hey, look, there's a few more cards with prowess. Right. I guess there are probably some people who are 
excited to see another cycle of shrine enchantments. Oh yeah, that that's pretty fun, but I mean that's all it really is, right? It's just fun. Yeah, that's what I would a- anticipate. I mean, you you would have to be able to make a deck around the five color shrine. I mean, and I'm sure there's some fun deck, some fun five color deck to make with these five shrines or six shrines plus the Kamigawa ones cuz then you just have a lot more that you can get out all at once. Right. That sounds like a commander deck waiting to happen. It probably already has. We all still have our Golos, the Tireless Pilgrim. He seems to just always work as a five-color commander, even if you don't have something better to do. Yep. I'm happy to see the power level here. We'll have more to talk about from a thematic perspective, I imagine, once we get to Zendikar. But I also hope that we see Zendikar where... The cards make us go like, oh, that's interesting, or ooh, I, mean, I want to try that out, rather than, oh my god, they did what? Yeah. <laughs> you can do what without paying for it? Oh dear. I have to think some of this was business motivated, right? Because most people are thinking about standard and how much stuff they've had to ban out of standard. I think more what you could look at, too, is how much they had to ban out of modern. Yeah. Modern was already an environment people really liked. And did not get changed from set to set for the most part. Then they put out Modern Masters last year, and, you know, obviously they had a couple there that were just crazy. You know, you had Urza, and they had to ban Hogak. Hogak and Urza, which were both from a set that was directly put into Modern, and now the cards they've been printing in Standard sets have not only been affecting Modern, because you had Oko who had to be banned out of Modern, They've also affected Legacy because he had Luris, who, like, basically wrecked Legacy. It's hard to tell whether this is an impetus of they just wanted to push stuff because, you know, they'd kind of been towing the line a little bit. And maybe because with Arena and everything, banning cards is just a little bit less bad than it had been in the past. Or if it's something where they're like, you know what, maybe we actually want more people to be to want these cards, to want them for Legacy, to want them for Modern. And so then they pushed that power level and thought, I guess they were trying to toe the line where it wouldn't push anything too much in standard, but it would like really have an impact on the other things. But they also say they basically don't test for any of those, so it's it's hard to know where it all lands, right? But it's all had this cumulative effect of like all of their environments just going up and down with all of these new cards. And I would even tell you that I tend to like more powerful stuff, the problem with powerful stuff is it does tend to just start to get rid of any kind of diversity, right? When your tier one decks just make any tier two decks, not only like a 40% win rate, but like a 10% win rate, all you're going to see is the tier one decks and it just really ruins a lot of the experience because then you're just saying the same things over and over and over. And one of the best things about magic is it is so cool and so different with all these different things that you can do. So you're getting rid of one of the big strengths of the game. I don't think that you are alone in being dissatisfied with competitive standard lately. I mean, I I certainly get the feel that there's just too much good stuff out there that there's generally discontent. I mean, because you see comments like, right, when they they banned Fires of Invention and Agent of Treachery, right, you saw people going, why didn't they also ban Wilderness Reclamation? And, oh, also... While you're at it, you should probably just go ahead and ban Teferi and ban Growth Spiral and ban like a bunch of Simic stuff, basically, right? It's, and if you ban that, then it's just going to be Flash decks dominating again. Like it, yep. You see people 
on the one hand saying, yeah, we think more stuff should be banned, while also acknowledging that it's probably not going to matter because whatever you ban, there's it's just going to be next obnoxious busted thing up that just was getting drowned out by the other slightly busted thing. So, yeah. I like where Corset 2021 is. I hope that we continue to see it more at this. I don't feel like it's in, I mean, I know that objective is really a meaningless term here, but it doesn't really seem like an objectively weak set or something. It just no seems like the stuff before it was like, geez. Yes, that's exactly it. That is 100% it. All right. So our next episode will not be magic. You'll have, but there's a reasonable chance we'll be back with something to say about Jumpstart. Who knows? Maybe I'll be one of those people who gets a couple of packs with their pre-order 2021. But you have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or wherever it is that you usually get your podcasts. If your podcatching service allows you to leave reviews or ratings, we would greatly appreciate it, especially on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, because that really helps new people discover the show. If you do not see Strange Assembly on your favorite podcatching service, please let me know so I can fix that situation. You can reach me at chris at strangeassembly.com. I always love hearing from you. You can also get a hold of me at the usual social media. We are at Strange Assembly on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly, and at Strange Assembly on Instagram. But until then, for Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.